Uh, let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, you invite us into your presence, that uh, your word says, come close to God, and he will come close to you. And Lord, we just thank you this morning for the wonderful sense of worship, uh, for drawing us into your presence today, Father. Thank you that you are here. And Lord, as we come to your word, we pray, Father, you would open your word to our hearts and your hearts to our word today. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> so, good morning. Um, let's grab that thing. You may have heard the story of the old man uh, who, was a, who was a wonderful Christian. And uh, sadly, there was a flood in his town. And um, the streets filled with water and the cars started floating away. But he was, a, he was a firm believer, so he was praying for deliverance. Dear God, deliver me from this flood. So he lived on his own. Uh, and the rescue services sent a four by four to pick him up. But he said, no, 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 go away. Save someone else. God will deliver me. And he carried on praying. Well, the rain was torrential. And soon he got to the bottom of his stairs. So he went upstairs and carried on praying. Dear God, deliver me. His neighbor came in a boat, a rowing boat outside and says, get into the boat. We can be safe. And the man says, no, no, you go away. God will deliver me. And he carried on praying. The river had burst its banks by now and the water had come up into his house and he had to go onto the roof. That was the only place left. But he carried on fervently praying, dear God, deliver me from this flood. As he was praying hard, he heard the chop, chop, chop of a helicopter up above him. So he looked up and there was a rope coming down from the helicopter. Get in and you can be safe. Go away, he said. You'll blow the towels off my roof. You go and save someone else. God will deliver me. Anyway, the river carried on rising. The water eventually covered his house. And the old man drowned and died. I know. When he came to heaven, he came to God and he said, Lord, I prayed and prayed that you'd deliver me. Why did you let me drown? God said, what are you on about? I heard your prayer. I sent you a four by four, a rowing boat and a helicopter. Why did you send them away? Well... Today's uh, story is also about an incident on a roof. Not that one, uh, but actually in ancient Palestine. And um, it took, we're still in the Gospel of Luke. We're, we're, we're going to go through the passage again that um, Darren read, read for us because actually in that passage, there's at least half a dozen really surprising statements. Uh, intriguing, surprising fascinating, uh, and to some, shocking. And we'll go through, and I'll pause at each one, and we'll just, I'll just comment on those uh, statements. And then after we've done that, we'll come back and ask the question we should always ask in any sermon, which is, so what? What does it mean for us? So <clears throat> we're on the Gospel of Luke. Uh, two weeks ago, I spoke about the invitation of Jesus to Peter to come into deeper water. And last week, if you remember, Carol uh, spoke about the healing of the leper. And that passage last week ended with, I think, verse 15 and 16, which is just up there, with the news of Jesus spreading everywhere. News about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of, sickness, of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And then today's passage one day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village in Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. So this, this house was packed. 
probably Jesus' first big speech, because it's the start of the gospel, the disciples are being called, and they've come to see why they come. Well, for the verses before that, news about him was spreading. And people were saying, this guy was becoming famous. We want to check him out. Perhaps we can trip him up. And then uh, I think this is really interesting. At the end of that, verse 17, it says, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. That's interesting because it suggests that the power of the Lord wasn't always with Jesus to heal the sick. Which is an interesting uh, because we know that Jesus, or the fully God, was also fully man. Um, he got tired, he got hungry, he got thirsty, he needed to drink one day. Um, Jesus could only do what the Father willed. Jesus gave that up. And Paul reminds us, doesn't he, in Philippians in chapter 2, about our attitude to be like Jesus. He was in every sense God, but he didn't try to exploit his relationship with God. Instead, says Paul, he emptied himself. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He willingly gave it up. So, fully God and fully man. But certainly on this day, Jesus had the power to heal. And then, <clears throat> suddenly there's this kind of growing disturbance on the roof. Scratching sounds, stuff starts moving about. The beams of light start coming in. The debris starts falling. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. So it's a commotion. It was a dramatic entry. It would have made a, a lot of, uh, it would have been a lot of disturbance, a lot of noise, a lot of deb debris, quite disrupted. Surely would have interrupted everything that was going on. And what about, I think, what about the poor owner of the house? Right? I was going to explain this to his wife when she comes back. Now the roof, of course, would have been very accessible, not like our roofs, cold and inaccessible. If you've ever lived in a hot country, and I have, and I used to go up to the roof and spend time with people on the roof, it was cooler. It was a nice place. Sometimes you'd sleep on the roof. Very accessible places, easy to get to. So these pals, they bring their friend. They can't get in. It's so crowded. It's so packed. It's because news had spread everywhere about him. So they remove the thatch or clay and, and the tiles and let him down. Okay? presumably on a rope or something like that. And then, verse 20 at the bottom there, Jesus saw their faith, their desire somehow to get close to Jesus. Jesus sees that these people are trying to get close to me. They'll go to any lens to get close to me. And they, they, wanted, they, they just have, must have just had the idea, if only we can get close to Jesus, if only we can get within touching distance, within eyesight, within earshot, and then, this astonishing line, I think, a really strange thing to say. Jesus saw this man, this uh, paraplegic probably, crippled, uh, paralyzed from the waist down, and says to him, friend, your sins are forgiven. Well, sorry, but hang on. That's not what I would have wanted to hear. Right? I've been paralyzed all my life. Finally hear about this healer, and my mates take me down send me on a rope, and they would have been thinking, heal, Jesus, heal him. And I would have been thinking, yeah, heal me. And Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And honestly, I think I would have been tempted to say, well, I mean, thank you very much. That's nice. But can you do something about these? 
as well. Not what he expected, certainly not what they expected. What a surprising thing to say and a provocative thing to say. Deliberately said, cat among the pigeons. It was a very provocative statement. Uh, Then verse 21 Obviously, the Pharisees and the teachers who were all there that come from the villages of Judea and Jerusalem, as we hear, they began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're absolutely right. Nobody can forgive sins on their own authority but God alone. Only God can do that. So we see here and one or two other places in the, in the um, Gospels, Jesus claims to be God. Not a healer, not a good man, uh, not a prophet or a wise man, but to be God. That is his claim that he makes. He offers forgiveness on his own authority. And then the next line, Jesus knew what they were, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart about blasphemy and who can forgive sin but God alone? And then he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man, which is a phrase Jesus coined for himself, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So this question... Um, is really interesting. And then the passage ends. So it says to the paralyzed man, get up, take up your mass and go home. Immediately, this man stands up in front of them. But Jesus poses, uh, Jesus seems to bring together two ideas, right, which we would normally regard as uh, distinct, as separate, and puts them together into the same, to the same sentence, into the same question, which is, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up, or get up and walk. He brings together the idea of sin and sickness. And in fact, the question he asks the Pharisees and the teachers of the law is in fact a dilemma. He poses a dilemma to them, to which there's no actually right answer. He says, which is easier to say then? Your sins are forgiven or to tell a paralytic to get up and walk? How would you answer that? I think it's not easy. If I think, to me, I think, well, okay, um, get up and walk is a pretty risky thing to say, right? But I might say your sins are forgiven. That seems easier to us, but no, it is not. In that day, to that audience, both were incredibly difficult, provocative statements to make. Saying you're healed, get up and walk, is obviously a very difficult thing to say if you don't, you know, if, if you're not Jesus, saying that with that authority. But also, declaring God's forgiveness on his own authority was also a dangerous and difficult thing to say. So Jesus here claims both the authority to forgive and to heal. They both belong to me, says Jesus. So let's now just read that as a modern-day audience. And I think it's still a bit puzzling. Which is easier, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Because... No doubt about it, Jesus is connecting the two. He's putting the two together somehow. We see there must be some kind of link between sin and sickness. He says, your sins are forgiven. Then he says, which is easier, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. 
And then he says, get up and walk, right? So all all combinations of that that are put together. So how are these two connected? uh, Sin and sickness, how are they connected? Well, they are and they aren't. So sin, wrongdoing in our lives certainly can lead to sickness. But sickness cannot be generally attributed to sin. Okay, let's take both sides of that. Sin and wrongdoing can certainly lead to sickness. Uh, but most sickness is not due to any specific sin. It's due to the way the world is not, is not as it should be. So sin and wrongdoing can lead to sickness. So we, we see this, um, uh, even unforgiveness can lead to sickness. Even unforgiveness, which is a sin, can lead to sickness. Uh, but if we just think about, for example, promiscuity or substance abuse or not looking after ourselves, or just driving ourselves into the ground too hard, which are not l- correct ways of living, that is a kind, they are all kinds of sin, will undoubtedly lead to sickness. They all lead to sickness. So do many other things. We have a responsibility to look after ourselves, and we can't blame God if we don't. So sin can lead to sickness. Even carrying unforgiveness can lead to sickness. And all those things need to be addressed if we come to God for healing, we have to talk about unforgiveness. Sorry, we have to talk about forgiveness and sin as well. But the second part of my statement, so we've said sin can lead to sickness, but the second part, sickness in general, cannot be attributed to sin. Okay? Sickness cannot be generally attributed to wrongdoing. And we know this from our own lives uh, and also from Scripture. In ancient society, there was often a direct connection made between someone's illness and sin. If someone was very ill or sick or paralyzed or whatever it is, that would often be associated, well, you must have done something. You must have done something. Um, And we know this to be wrong from our own experience and also from Scripture. And just two examples here. If you look at uh, the book of Job. So in the story of Job, which I'm sure many of you will know, Uh, This good man, Job, who's a a faithful man, a God-fearing man, a morally upright man, loses everything in the course of one day. He loses his livestock, he loses his house, he loses his fields, he loses his children, all all, all taken from him on the same day. And then he loses his health. And then uh, the, the, the chapters unfold. Job's friends come to see him to offer him consolation, and advice, and they all say, "Well, you must have done many. You must be guilty of great sin, Job, to do this. You should just curse God and die. You must have done a lot of bad stuff for all this stuff to happen to you." And Job insists, "No, I haven't. I haven't. I've been God-fearing. I've been upright." And at the end of the book of Job, God Himself enters the story and says to Job's friends, "You're all wrong. You're all wrong." Now, the book of Job doesn't answer the question, it does not answer the question, why do bad things happen? It does not answer that question, but it definitely says it's not due to Job's sin. It definitely says that. And then secondly, here's a great example of of Jesus in John chapter 9. So in John chapter 9, I think it's verse 1, Jesus is going along, and when he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? That this man, sorry, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. 
So there, there's the obvious connection. Well, here's a man born blind. Jesus, you know, explained the theology of this, the doctrine. Was it his sin or, or is there some sin further back down the, up, uh, in the ancestry? Jesus said, that's nothing to do with it. So just to end on that one, sin can lead to sickness, but we cannot attribute sickness in general to sin. Okay, so um, lastly then, Having wandered around the passage a bit, as I said we would, and gone into that particular rabbit hole, but I think it was worth going into, let's step away um, finally and just ask the question, so what? What does this passage mean for us? Uh, And I think um, there are lots of ideas you could take from this about persistence, about faith, um, but I think there's one idea which is really simple and actually is at the center of our previous sermons uh, on this series as well. It's the, it's the simplest idea, I think, I could think of. And it's simply this. Getting close to Jesus. I think this passage for us is about getting close to Jesus. As simple and as difficult as that is. The group of men who brought their friends knew they just had to get close. We just have to get within, within, within touching distance, within, in line of sight, within earshot. If we can only get our friends close to Jesus, something will happen. This man will do something. He will do something. We just know that. If we can only get close. And they couldn't get close. So they came down to the roof and made sure it happened. If we can only get close to Jesus. Jesus sees what they're doing and he calls it faith doesn't know what they believe or what, how often they go to church. It's just look at them, desperate to get close to me. That's faith. Jesus called it faith. That's all they had. They didn't understand great doctrine or theology. They didn't know why there's so many Pharisees and teachers in the house and you can't get in. They just knew if we can only get close to this man, if we can only get close, that will be enough. Do you remember in the Gospels there's another character who says almost the same thing. If I can only get close to... Do you remember who it is? Yes. Actually, actually, I'm thinking of, of, the, of the lady who suffered the 12-year bleed. Yeah. Zacchaeus jumped up the tree to see him, didn't he, as well, which was great. But this lady, this woman, she actually says, and it's in just a couple of pages on, actually, in Luke chapter 8, she suffered a, a bleed for 12 years, and her, she says, and Luke tells us, if I can only get close enough to touch his cloak, If I can only do that, that's enough. I don't need anything else. That will do it. So this idea of just getting close to Jesus is profoundly important. Jesus loves the kind of faith that just wants to get close. Think about this event again, a disruptive event. I think it's Jesus' keynote speech. Big audience, all the big teachers have come finally to hear him, right? His first big address. And I think he would have been okay. I think he would have chuckled at seeing the roof slowly opening up. Fine with nobody listening to his sermon because they're all getting distracted, unlike me. Right? I'm sure he was fine with the fact that suddenly people just stop listening because <laughs> there's noises up above. Suddenly the light starts coming through. There's dust coming down. What's going on? The hole's getting bigger. The tiles are coming off and there's faces looking down. I mean, I tell you what, it's bad enough when the tech fails. But if that happens in the middle of your sermon, I don't know what what you would do. Jesus was fine with all that because he knew it was their faith. 
What they did to get close caught the eye of Jesus and touched the heart of God. What they did to get close caught the eye of Jesus and touched the heart of God. For us too, if we go to lengths and put the effort in, whatever that means, to get close to Jesus, we catch the eye of Jesus, touch the heart of God. Jesus loves to see that faith. He saw their faith. He physically saw it. So then I, I thought, that, that's, that, what is this faith that, that Jesus sees? And, and we could think, well, what is faith? There are loads of answers to the question, what is faith, right? Um, <clears throat> loads of answers to the question, what is faith? But here's uh, a one definition uh, which I saw in preparation for this. Faith, this writer said, is the intent to get close to Jesus. It's a bit simple, isn't it? Well, it doesn't talk about doctrine and belief or the Bible, all those things are important, but it just says, actually, you know, if, if, if this is our intent, all those other things will happen anyway. Faith is the intent to get close to Jesus. And I love that very simplistic but profoundly true definition of faith. It's not necessarily a head thing or a belief thing or learning. It's just a desire that causes us to act to get near to God. And Jesus transforms those who persist in getting close to him. Remember, um, not necessarily the transformation that we might be asking for, right? Jesus transforms those not necessarily in the right in what we think. Certainly, to start with, remember the the chap on on the on the bed was lowered down, and the first thing he heard was, "Well, you're forgiven now." Well, that's not why I came. <laughs> but he got more than he bargained for. They did transformation that day was body, soul, and spirit, and that's what Jesus offers. If we if we if we are intent enough to get close we will be transformed in body and soul and spirit. And really, honestly, from today's message, that's all I want you to take away. The intent to get close to Jesus. Are we striving then to get close to Jesus? How are we striving to get close to Jesus? What are we actually doing about it? Because we like the idea of it. You might not need to make a hole in your roof to get close to Jesus. Or, or, or you might, I don't know. I don't know your house. But I do know that getting close to Jesus means, usually means a few things, right? It usually means doing and not just believing. Doing and not just believing. It usually means time in the week, not just on Sunday. Time in the week, not just on Sunday. And it usually means... As I said two weeks ago, sometimes stepping into deeper water and not always paddling in the shallows. Stepping into deeper water, not always paddling in the shallows. Asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do now? For whatever, my next phase of life, this month, today, Lord, what would you have me do now? Getting close to Jesus, just to summarize that, I think for, for most of us is doing, not just believing Time in the week, not just Sundays, and sometimes stepping into deeper water with Jesus, not always paddling in the shallows. 
Do we share that desire, that longing to get close to Jesus, to get close to him, to get near to him? If we do, it will catch the eye of Jesus. Believe me, it will touch the heart of God. God loves it when his children want to get close to him. As those of us lucky enough to have children know, we love it when our kids want to get close to us. We are made in the image of God. That's where that, that's where that love comes from, from him. If we are intense to get close, we too will catch the eye of Jesus. We will touch the heart of God. And then just to finish with, a couple of verses from Scripture, three verses from Scripture that say the same thing, really. From Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. That's Isaiah's advice to us. Jesus himself said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And actually an equal translation of that uh, sentence is keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and, it will, and you will find it. Keep on knocking. We sometimes think, well, that's just when you become a Christian. That's not what Jesus said. Keep on knocking. Keep on seeking. Keep on asking and it will be given to you. And then lastly, I love the way James summarizes it so simply in his book, almost at the end of New Testament. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Let me pray for us. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Father, we're sorry for the times that we have often forgotten you, gone through days without thinking of you perhaps, and yet, that is, this is your promise to us. This was your promise then, and it's your promise now. Come close to me, and I will come close to you. Lord, help us to take that away today. This intent, help us to intend to get close to you in our life, in our week, in our day-to-day, in, in our attitude towards others. I ask this in Jesus' name.